Hello, here in the studio, Music Unraveled number four, the Avit Brothers, and I'm back in the studio with Booty. He's going to be uh, relaying. He just di- he just went and saw the Avit Brothers. Was the last weekend, I believe, for the sixth time. For the sixth time. Yeah, okay. although that seems like a lot. That's not necessarily a lot for Avit Brothers fans or. Yeah, isn't even. it crazy how huge they've gotten? Probably since the first time you saw them and now. Yes, would, most would, definitely. Because I saw them for the first time, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. But just before I Am Loving You hit, which was their breakthrough album in terms of, you know, the, uh, jumping into kind of a different level. Uh, yeah, as a band. yeah, yeah. So how long have you... I, I heard about the Avett Brothers first from a different friend that just kind of showed me a couple of videos one time when he was over at my house, and I never really came back to him. And then the more you and I started hanging out, um, you, you know, you just like you get around people that are passionate about things, <laughs> and they keep talking about them, and you look into things more that they're passionate about out of curiosity. It's like, well, if I like this guy, and this guy likes this this much. There maybe must be some, maybe there's a reason here, mm-hmm. uh, but so you you're you're a big fan. Um, when did when you start getting into listening to the Avery Brothers? It's a great place to start because actually, if I even take it a little bit uh, uh, farther than that, the Avett Brothers I really credit. Well, for the okay, let me back up even farther. For the benefit of those who maybe didn't haven't listened to the, any of the first uh, music unraveled or at least the two that we did with Todd Snyder and Drive-By Truckers, um, that you know, but others might not, that I'm big time into the quote-unquote underground music scene, as I, as I describe it. You know, music that uh, musicians and artists um, that you won't normally hear on the radio, uh, or if you do, even so, very rarely, uh, and that the average person on the street has never heard about, you know, to one degree or another. Uh, the road warriors, the ones that, you know, pile up in their... Anywhere from a, a van with a trailer on the back or even upwards of a nice tour bus with a trailer on the back. But, you know, go from club to club like Red Room and Stickies and White Water and uh, George's Majestic and Fayetteville and places like that. You know, that's the music that I'm generally into. And that I can credit to a large degree to the Abbott Brothers uh, because the Abbott Brothers... Um, are one of the original bands that I quote discovered right uh, in 2008, 2009. It was it, it must have been like somewhere towards the end of 2008. Okay, the year was, of our Lord. <laughs> it was previous to the release of I Am Loving You, which came out sometime in 2009. Uh, so when I discovered them, uh, I discovered them because I was looking for music that from musicians that I'd never heard of, you know, um, kind of finding things that I dig the, those, those hidden gems. And uh, so I was on Amazon and I had picked up a couple titles from different artists and was kind of starting my journey into an underground music scene or what, what, what were you became. really into before you got into the underground scene? I haven't <laughs> asked you that really much since we've been hanging out. That's a really large question, but I, I can probably narrow it down to this. I was, you know, as a teenager, I was kind of like you in the sense that I was always into live music and listening to music all the time. But I was a teenager in the eighties. So, you know, I, I, we, my crew didn't tend to like at that time, the hair bands and, yeah. you know, just the, commercialized stuff that was coming out then. Uh, I'm not saying it's all bad, but we just weren't into it. And so we reverted back to the 60s and 70s music, you know, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and The Doors and, you know, all that kind did of stuff. Did you see my Facebook status about Led Zeppelin? I did, yes. <sighs> that shocked me, and I want, I'd like to look more into yeah, that. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. It's okay. At any rate, so after my teenage years, when I, you know, had to get a job and start, supporting myself and all that, I kind of tended to get out of that scene, and I got out of the music scene also for a while. And then uh, sometime in my 20s, right about the time that CDs became a thing, right, I started getting back into Compact music again disc. at that point. And I was interested in, as I ended up being in my third phase, <coughs> uh, looking for bands that, you know, that I didn't hadn't heard of before that I don't generally know or the average person doesn't know. And discovered a whole bunch of bands there, and I had built up a huge collection of CDs, and then uh, went through a dark time in my life, and became convinced that I needed to just shed all of my material possessions, and I sold all my CDs. I just like got wow. rid of them all, you know, and gave them away or sold them. 
um, and then got out of the music scene again. And so this, when I discovered the Avett Brothers, was my third kind of third round of deciding to start exploring what's going on now. Uh, and that was came in 2008-ish. Um, so I, you asked me previous, I'd have to go all the way back to uh, my college days, uh, my early college days, actually, which has been so, too many years ago to mention at this point. <laughs> uh, but to the Avett Brothers then. I had been gotten a few albums or whatever uh, from bands I couldn't even tell you who, uh, and the, on the Amazon, you know, they have the uh, scroll below customers who bought this also, also like this, like yeah. this or also bought that, and I found so many great artists and have since found so many great artists through that very those very means. In essence, what same thing you were talking about? If you hear me talking about Avery Brothers, well, maybe I should check out Avery Brothers. If I see other people who like this music, you know, looking at this, well, maybe I should check that music. And it just kept, Avett Brothers kept coming up and kept coming up and kept coming up. I ignored it for a while because I don't know why I just did. You know, it just kept coming up. And I was like, okay, maybe I ought to check into this band. And so uh, I bought as my first album, um, Four Thieves Gone, uh, the Robinsonville Sessions, which was uh, put out in 2006. And when I listened to that, which is one of their really, um, it's, it's one of their albums that has, that has a very kind of a raw feel to it uh you know almost you know on the spot kind of it almost as if they many of the songs they recorded you know directly into the microphones to the tape you know what i mean yeah uh and when i heard that it was just blew my mind and i was like oh my god who are these guys and why have i not been listening to them for years now uh and that's when i started delving into some of their older stuff uh, minionettes and emotionalism and that was a big guy that had 17 tracks on that album too on fourth east gone uh, yeah 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 it's it's a well i finally did pick it up on vinyl and it was, it's a double oh. lp set got Ooh. it on white wax man nice very very limited edition vinyl i found it so at a back concert right now night. man it's crazy everybody's talking about it too on what of uh, vi just vinyl? Oh, yeah. like we're we like, it, yeah. Podcast. Good thing you did sell your CDs because like there's this thing now that's called like disc rot or uh -huh. something oh, yeah. like the discogs. Yeah, I mean, just is it basically these like little holes that are oh, wearing through the CD? CDs. Yeah, yes. yeah. That's been around yeah for a while. I started noticing that uh, disc rot on CDs probably a good ten years ago. They start discoloring. Yeah, it kind of looks almost like a mold beneath the surface of yeah. the CD. Weird. <laughs> anyway, anyway yeah, um, moving on. Moving on. Uh, when I when I heard Fourth Thieves Gone, and especially Talk on Indolence, which is one of their staples that they play live, uh, I was blown away, and so I started looking more deeper into them. And it was then shortly after that that I and Loving You popped. Uh, uh, you know, was was released. And when I then heard I and Loving You, I just absolutely fell in love with the band, uh, full scale, full tilt, all in. Dude, where are they from? North Carolina, okay. um, specifically Charlotte area. I don't think they. A lot of history up there. Yeah, definitely. over there. Yeah, yeah. American Aquarium is from North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, also, which is another band that I found, uh, you know, post Avett Brothers. Uh, but Avett Brothers, you know, at my point being kind of when I fell in love with the Avett Brothers, I really fell in love with the journey of finding more bands that I could fall in love with like that again. And that led to, right, uh, American Aquarium, and that led to the Truckers, and that led to Snyder, and so on and so on and so on. Um, also, by the way, was the same year that I first saw them, uh, 2008. Oh, nice. Um, so I saw them, actually, this is a funny story in and of itself, but uh, and do make me come back to Fort Thieves Gone. Uh, I had just been through the, as I just mentioned, Four Thieves Gone, and then starting to look into some of their other stuff and really digging it, right, some of their older stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, I got a notification, Ava Brothers, a uh, special performance just announced, and it's in like two weeks, uh, up at uh, Harding College in uh, Northeast Arkansas. Uh, it was some sort of, I guess they put on, Harding College puts on every year, a kind of a student appreciation uh, 
party and it, and it culminates in this big concert. Then they bring like they brought Dr. Dog, which you and I are going to be seeing. Soon. Yes, they brought them in one year. This was post. You know, Harding show. is the most expensive university in the state. No kidding. Well, maybe in, that's in terms of tuition, uh, they're a Church of Christ college, and um, even though the University of Ozarks and Clarksville. As far as I know, they are they they were more expensive. Last time I checked, it's been a couple years. They were more expensive per credit hour than U of A. (laughs) So um, I think University of Ozarks is yeah they're they're on up there too yeah. Uh, But I would I don't know. But they're both of them are private institutions too. So yeah, they got the money to bring in whoever they want. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, true. Although this was pre and just pre I and loving you. Uh, so the the album had not been released yet. Um, it released, I don't remember exactly what month, but in the following year. So this show came up. Because, oh nine, yeah, yeah. This show came up because um, I don't know why they only announced it like very shortly. It may have been more than two weeks. It's been several years ago, but it, it wasn't long. I mean, it, it was it was a surprise announcement, right? So yeah. the word didn't really get out there very far. Um, and so I was like, hell yeah, the brothers, you know, and Connie and I, my wife, uh, and I went to it, bought tickets for it. And I got early access because back in those days, you know, they had the thing where if you were the first 50 ticket buyers, you know, you get early access, which mm-hmm. means you get to go in the doors before everybody else does, which allows you to get a good spot. And so when we went up there, you know, I was kind of expecting it to be, you know, you can imagine a concert, you know, lines and whatnot. It's like, Nobody there. We were kind of, are we in the right place? You know, so what's going on? Um, ended up getting to go walking in and right up to the stage. Very first time standing right in front of Scott Abbott this time with the very few other people that were right there with us. Now, ultimately, the stadium did, or not the stadium, but the arena, the little fairly small arena did fill up. But that's when all the students came, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, let's see, I was leading this somewhere. Where was it in? We were uh, you, you got got right up to the stage, right? Okay, so that was the first time I got to see them. Was at this very kind of small-ish uh, venue, on r- directly on the rail, right in front of Scott Avid, and both my wife Connie and I were just absolutely jaw dropped by the end of the show. I mean, they put on, they just they're just high energy, constant from the second they come out there until the second they go off that stage. And not only that, not only they're high energy, they're very uh, interactive with the crowd, interactive with each other, uh, very personal. It, it felt like a very personal experience, even though it was in a larger venue than that is you know, typical for the venues I go to in most cases. Uh, they just had a, 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 an innate uh, way, some innate sense of how to truly connect with the audience in a very honest way. You know, not in a staged way, not in a uh, uh, in a forced way, um, not even in I don't even maybe not even in a planned way. I'm not sure, but uh, in an authentic way. Uh, and so at that point, I you know I don't like the term favorite bands because ask me on any given day what my favorite band is, it could be something completely different. But I put I rank them among my most my favorite to my heart. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that, that I hold them up. If somebody says, okay, if I put a gun to my head and say, okay, you better tell me now what band, you know, is your favorite. It would it's be the Avery tr- Brothers. It would be the Drive-By <laughs> Truckers, the Drive-By Truckers, Avery Brothers, Todd Snyder. <laughs> okay. Which are our first three episodes together. I'd have to say those like really fast. Like, Drive-By Truckers, Avery Brothers, Todd Snyder. Yeah, that band <laughs> is my favorite. Uh, now you can take the gun away from my head, please. They should all form a super group. <laughs> they ought to. Um, and so when I and Love and You came out, that is really when they jumped to the next level. So I kind of came in like right underneath the the, the, the radar at the time in yeah. which they were generally unknown into the time in which they were a little less generally unknown. Um, until now, they're not still still relatively unknown, but they've they've gotten to the next level. Yeah, definitely. I, I kind of they feel they feel Red Rocks. Yeah, they sell it out. They sell out Madison Square Garden. Uh, on yeah, New Year's that's Eve. impressive. Uh, they do that every year. Well, and so they're getting more radio play now. Yeah, they, um, I, I, maybe I don't listen to the radio. I, they, so. I've heard them on the radio mm-hmm. because uh, some of their newer songs off their last album that was the first album 
that I had of theirs, if I'm not mistaken. You might have given me the album we're talking about right True now. True Sadness? Um, the most recent album? Yes. Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah, but I can't remember if... I think you gave me... You might have given me... Uh, I I'm loving. Gone, I think you gave me a whole. St- I, th- I want to say you gave me all of them. Yeah, it's very possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have. I've, I've 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 surfed through them driving um, on the catalog, and I've listened to them. I mean, I've got their uh, albums up on uh, Spotify. Is what we're talking. They have a lot of drops. They had um, uh, before that Four Thieves album. They had four albums out. So since '02, I didn't know they'd they been have around 11, that long. Eleven major releases. That includes two EPs. I call those. I, I consider those major, even though they're shorter, because they contain some of the, some of their you know best songs, uh, in my opinion. Um, and, and when I say that, by the way, I mean that some of their best songs, of which all their albums contain, some of their best songs are also on those albums, on those EPs. Uh, and then they have, I think, well, four. This is maybe kismet that we're doing this divorce show because yeah. they have uh, four live albums man i uh, love live albums out. me too they, they, panics live albums are so good i mean it's just they have more live albums out than studio on some of their stuff true although panic being a jam band and fish is the same way too that the the studio albums are in some ways at least just kind of what they put out so that they have songs to actually <laughs> yeah. play in totally different ways on stage <laughs> yeah that's you a know? great way to think yeah that's a great way to look at it uh you know, they're almost like you could you collect the studio studio albums just because you know you're a fan and you want to have their music, but it's the live versions that really are the only ones we listen to, right? Yeah, I mean, For really, like I have a Panic playlist on Spotify, yeah. and um, most of the versions I have, I have maybe two or three studio songs on there. It's just because there's not a good live version on there, but they have one place I saw they had 37 total albums, and most of them are live. Panic, I think they have like maybe. 10 or 12 uh, studio albums, the rest of them are like more live than studio. I, you know, it's interesting because I, I'm the same way in that I love live albums of bands that I know. Uh, usually, not always, but typically, and this is probably not the case with uh, bands like, you know, I mean, full-scale jam bands like uh, Widespread Panic and, and Fish and Grateful Dead uh, and a few others, but um, uh, String Cheese Incident, you know, a few others, but... Uh, uh, where those exp- you can you can experience those even if you don't know the songs you know that you can still like totally get into it and and, and love it, uh, whereas oftentimes I find with with bands you know more traditional I guess bands like the Avery Brothers for example traditional meaning not jam bands you know more traditional who go up and perform their songs on stage with some variation but not nearly the extent of a jam band that if I don't know the their music that it's harder for me to appreciate the live performance, you know. Um, yeah, and I know what you're saying. Like, the first time I saw Rusted Root, I didn't really know. And I, ironically, Panic. The, fr- the first time I saw either one of those bands, I've only seen Root once. I would love to see them again. Mm. But I didn't really know any of their songs. And the Rusted Root, they, I think their very last song they played was Send Me On My Way. Yeah. And I was like, oh, these guys? I know this song. <laughs> yeah, know this you song. know? Such a happy song, too. <laughs> but, um, which they killed it. They were just so energetic in the performances. Right. So I think we've talked about this on a previous podcast. You go and the live show blows you away and you're like, I want that album. Yes. And you buy the album and you put it in your CD player when you get back to the truck and you're like, mm, right. This is what I remember. This is not what it sounded like. <laughs> Yes, there is that. The live performance is absolutely essential. But that's what you were saying on that Abbott Brothers album, though. You, it kind of sounded kind of raw or like a live performance. Would you? Is yeah. that what you're kind of what you're alluding to? Well, I was alluding more to the musical style, I guess. Yeah. But but what I was alluding to in this in, in this is that not the live, not seeing them live. I'm talking about listening to a live album. If I don't for for some for some bands, if I don't know their music, when if I listen to a live album before I know their music, that oftentimes I don't really connect with the live album as much, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I when I know the music, or when it's a band that you don't doesn't really require it, like Widespread Panic, I agree with you 100. percent The live albums are absolutely the way to go. Even you know, I've, I'm fascinated when I hear about. So you said that that first the f- the Four Thieves ones uh, was maybe the first one, the the first album you kind of plugged into. But that some, I would like to see how long it took them to record it, uh, mm. because I've been seeing a weird correlation between a lot of different bands. They'll go in and record an album in like a day or a weekend or a week, yeah. And it's like, and some of them take mm, a year. Yeah, yeah. I think but a lot of it comes with the engineering after the fact. 
Yeah, in the in and the that's by the way. Tracks. That's by the way what I meant by raw in the Four Thieves Gone. I think, then um, they intended this. I mean, I, I I'm not in their head, so I don't know exactly the full story, but um, that, that that that's what they were going for. You know, is is more of a, a direct and more of a immediate sound, um, and it has kind of a much. They've always had a punk element to them. Uh, the Avett Brothers, for those who've never li- listened to them at all are really, really difficult to define what genre they fall into, you know. Um, the, the best, probably genre, I guess, name would be Americana, which they do um, certainly fill, fit the bill for Americana band. You know, and what Americana means, which I hate that name because most people who haven't heard that term before or don't know that those musical, those, that genre and the bands within it, uh, or they get plugged in within it. Think, you know, the kind of trashy, you know, trinket kind of stuff, right? Yeah, let me tell you something fun, funny on this, too. Kind of kind of stuff. A lot of uh, maybe my audience, uh, depending on who, who I personally know that listens to this, okay. is also a jiu-jitsu submission named the Americana. No kidding. Yes. And tell it's, me, what is the it's what a, is that? It's a shoulder that? submission where your okay. arm is like this. So, if, uh, audience, I'm... I have my arm out at, um, and then it bends at my elbow and goes up 90 degrees. Yeah, it's kind of like you're doing the... beside my body. Yeah, the, it's like almost like an arm wrestling. Right on, brother. Yeah, yeah, like flexing my bicep, yeah. like flexing my muscle. Solid. So, um, <laughs> but they just take your shoulder and they crank it backwards. Oh, yeah, that yeah, I know, right? I, so, Ooh. imagine somebody's doing that with now, like both their arms. Now, why do they call that the Americana? I have do no you know? idea. I've, no, I've never, I've never really looked it up, right? honestly. It's probably, um, it's probably like a folk wrestling term. Hmm. A lot of, a lot of moves from mixed martial arts and jujitsu have come from uh, old um, catch wrestling and folk wrestling terminology, or judo. Okay. So it, it's interesting. It's, it's a hodgepodge. Yeah, you should look into that, that the origins of that. I, I usually, I know there's a move called the omoplata. Okay. And uh, I just told somebody today, I was like, that's Portuguese for scapula. <laughs> and they were like, really? And uh, most of the people. And what that, does scapula mean? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What does scapula? It's by the clavicle. Uh, yeah. The Super clavicle? Funny. Yeah. That'd be a good name for a rock band. It would. Uh, Americana as a genre. Uh, really uh, implies a mixture of all kinds of American music, right? Blues and rock and roll. And it's jazz a good way to describe it, I suppose. It, well, I think, it, yeah, it's, it's what it is. Right? And uh, uh, what I have is more tra- Oh, punk, right? And uh, soul, yeah. And, uh, uh, progressive, even. I yeah. mean, just kind of a conglomeration of all these various forms kind of even Both in the same song and and other t- and sometimes you know through the track it's they it's, even have a, a bluegrass tone to that them bluegrass throughout. that's one I have to add and country of course how could I yeah. leave that one out yeah a lot of them you know a lot of their earlier stuff and I think this is why some people say or I've heard a lot of people say and you you might or might not agree but um, that uh, that they like their older stuff better or that you know with I am loving you which is when they started. Uh, with uh, producer Rick Rubin, who's produced yeah. their his, their last three albums, uh, excuse me, four albums: <laughs> "I Am Loving You," "The Carpenter," "Magpie and the Dandelion," and "True Sadness," and who is now producing their fifth album. And I think this is the last Rick Rubin album they're planning. That's what they seem to suggest on t- stage. Which what did you say the very first one? March second. Uh, he worked with them on "I Am Loving You." Okay. In two thousand nine, and that's the one again that brought him to kind of the next. The next level. Rick Rubin's worked with the Chili audience. Peppers a lot early in their career. Yeah, oh, he's worked with so many, you know. And he has his own label, the American, which you know he worked with Johnny Cash. He did the American recordings, which are wow. my favorite Johnny Cash recordings from his entire career. We went. Have you been to the museum in Nashville? No. Mm-mm. Man, um, have you been to Nashville? I've not. I've been through Nashville. I've not oh, ever man. been there. I, I, we just went that, for the first time last year mm-hmm. and saw. That's where we saw Roger Waters. Okay, cool. Yeah, and so you uh, got some time to go. go to we go went to yeah, we didn't go to the Grand Ole Opry, but man, I'm wanting to go back. Um, this is going to be like a, a pretty. We're, I'm not going to be able to hit that dead show I was telling you about. We're thinking about going to see the dead in Colorado. Um, it's a long drive. It is, but man, we're wanting to. We're trying to find the right date, right time, right show at Red Rocks again. Mm-hmm. 
um, something that's just really going to be over. I want to see Panic at Red Rocks that real be, bad. That would be an experience. Yeah, uh, and the, which they have more sold out shows at Red Rocks than any other band. Yeah. So, um, or, or you know, it'd be cool to see the Dead and Boulder, but I, we had some sort of weird schedule conflict come up already. Yeah, that so, always happens. Well, yeah. I shouldn't say it always happens, but it happens too often. Well, I see. See the Memphis, like for example, the work you Memphis know, work and May doc, dockets up work. right now. I don't know if you ever go to that little music. Oh festival. yeah, I've, I've, I've. It's been years and years, but I don't generally because I, I generally don't tend to prefer festivals. I, I, well, I like yeah, uh, the yeah. smaller, more intimate, more you know shows that are but based or focused on a singular artist, or if you're lucky enough, two artists. Um, for example, I'm seeing Deer Tick and John Moreland co-headlining. At Rev Room in April. Did you see that Marie Lepanto show yet? Did you go to? No, that? I didn't. But they're coming back in April to two shows: one up in Springfield, and then another one in, in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah, yeah and then another one at the, towards the end of the month in uh, Little Rock. And I'm definitely gonna be hitting one of those. Did you listen to that album? I yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah. good, isn't it? Yeah, I would. I would maybe go see them. Are they doing a living room show? Yeah. Both of those two that I just mentioned are living room shows. Man, let me know on that Little Rock one. I will. Uh, and maybe um, I would like to make that work because, man, too, like, here's this kind of interesting, like I joked about it before the podcast, but I kind of, like, see this like a little mini job now. Uh, like, I have to go consume some good music. <gasps> oh, so I have content first. for the podcast. I hear you. You know, and the concert reviews are great. So it's like... I don't know. It just gives it an extra purpose. Uh -huh. I, I'm sad I didn't go to the Avid Bros. Uh, if Cora would not have been out of town, I definitely could have pulled that off. Yeah, and she gave her blessing, but I did seven private lessons that day. Yeah. Dude. I knew so. you. I knew you had a lot with it, with Cora. Had her thing going. You had your thing going, and I knew that was gonna be hard to arrange. Yeah. But, uh, well, thanks for the invite. Going, going I'm, well, I'm glad that she got to go. That's well, and it was one of those. You know, if if Brian can't go, I'll go with you. She, you know, it's that was a Friday night show in Tulsa, and that's really I, tough yeah, for her. I really appreciate. And that, by the way, I should, even though she probably won't listen to this, thanks, Connie. Uh, <laughs> I'll give her thanks for, uh, for you know, sacrificing her, uh, her not only her time but her. Uh, energy what little of it she had left well, yeah it's at the end way. of the week man it's always it's like because that was like another thing i was like especially in tulsa because i have to like pick her up at right when she gets off well work that and was hit with me road. i was like well i could work all day mm -hmm. and then i could cut it off right at 4 30 and then we could leave <laughs> right away and then i was like because i mean i started the day i was teaching at 5 30 a.m and just went Oof. all day uh but so i was like nah yeah, and I would have had to cancel my last couple of sessions. So it worked out though. But there'll be uh, another opportunity. They, they they come around here at least once a year. If it would have been like Little Rock, twice a year, or even Fayetteville, I would have I would have been all over it. I was just like I was like man, I'm gonna and I didn't want to crash out on you on the way home. Even though the <laughs> the Stephen Wilson had me off in another universe last time we Indeed. left a concert, Indeed. drooling. <laughs> <laughs> that was the trucker show. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh yeah, yeah man. So, uh, which, yeah, anyway. So, um, we were at Rick Rubin before we got um, on that side side note. But, um, yeah. Well, okay. So, I was coming kind of back to this, and, you know, a lot, I, I do hear, um, you know, a lot of kind of people are, find division, you know, old bro Abel Brothers, new Abel Brothers. Yeah, that and, seems and, to and be a big narrative. Yeah, and that's really where it started at the I and Loving You. Uh, and I, I think it's because, in, in, in large part, but not in full part, uh, because the, the albums are, were more polished. Um, you know, they were with Ramser Records, you know, small label for every other release, and it was very personal. I think they were very involved with the production. And, uh, you know, it was um, that, that some people would define it at least as being more authentic. Okay, mm -hmm. I, I don't define it that way. I just see it as being different. And my, some of this might be because I came in right as I and Love and You was put out. So I hadn't established a strong bond with the Abe Brothers before I and Love and You came out. So maybe it was more seamless for me. That's a, but it, I could interesting kind of that it's their first commercial break, I guess you could say. Uh, and it's their first Rick Rubin yeah, uh, well, album as well. I mean, the, the very fact that Rick Rubin was producing right in and of itself gave them a larger audience. Because, you know, Rick Rubin is a very uh, famous producer. He's worked with so many big names. Yeah. And so for him to work with this no-name band, Abbott Brothers, you know, automatically created a lot of buzz and a lot of interest. And then their sound, you know, it, it is true uh, that 
well, I would say that first of all, that their sound is still very much authentic Ava Brothers. And they still, you know, have the, the, the same elements uh, that you see from album one, all, you know, all the way up to their, their latest release. But it's, it is true probably that it has more of a certainly polished and more of a pop kind of uh, um, uh, elements to yeah, it. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard a few people describe it that way, just talking about uh, the new album with people. And um, it does seem to be... And I would now that I we're talking about this, I'm going to go back and this is great because I'm going to go back and listen to those four Rick Rubin albums, and then I'm going to compare them to the older catalog. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll say this in terms of comparisons. I, I just, I just find them to be every bit as enjoyable. I, I love their old stuff. I love all of their stuff. You know, for different re- for in different ways, and sometimes for different reasons. For example, the Fourth Thieves Gone being more raw and in your face, and and really kind of very kind of strong, strong punk elements in that one, uh, more so than, than even other albums. Uh, and with uh, M- Mignonettes and Emotionalism, both for their um, kind of fluid sound and their, you know, the, the, the way they mix the banjo with the acoustic guitar and, and, and the, their harmonies, you know, the way they, they, they harmonize on those albums through some of the big ones like, you know, Swept Away and uh, uh, Escaping Titles. But... Um, I find their their latest stuff, for example, True Sadness, is one of my favorite Brothers albums in the sense I think it's one of their best albums. I mean, I I, I find it hard to compare saying, you know, this is number one, this is number two, this is number three. I just, I find them all to be so unique in their own way. But I would rank True Sadness uh, and I and Loving You um, up there with their best albums um, and their best work in terms of the artistic uh, output. You know, pop, the the name itself kind of has bad apl- implications for a lot of people. Uh, but even pop music, when it's American style, it's, just, it's a big part of Americana in one way or another, in one degree or another. But um, good pop, real pop, honest pop, you know, like Tame Impala, I'd say, falls into that category too, you know. Um, it can be, to me, a, a pleasant and interesting musical journey in and of itself. So... I, I do hear that a lot of times, and I, unfortunately, I think a lot of, not everybody, but a lot of people means it as a, uh, a negative, you know, that they've gone, you know, that, that it's, it's too pop, I mean, it's more pop than the old stuff, and they use that as a kind of a diminishment of their newer stuff as worse than their older stuff. I see it as just a progression of the band, you know, and I remember, yeah, you know, that's that a great way to Scott Avett said, and I'm sure Seth Avett has even said this in one time or another, and I paraphrase him, but he said, you know, he said, I know that there will be fans who won't like the directions, that some of the directions that we go in as a band. But every direction we go in is true to who we are. And that really shines through for me, both on the stage and in their music as well. They're some of the most, you know that I love good songwriting. Yeah? And at the core of most of the music that I really connect strongly with is, is solid, strong songwriting, insightful songwriting. Uh, songs that have something to say, you know, whatever it's talking about. It's honest, it's true, it's real. And I would say that Abert Brothers are among those, they're really overlooked in a lot of ways for how um, sharp of songwriters they are. And I would say that their songwriting is some of the most personal that I hear um, coming out of really all of the artists that I love. And all the artists I love right I know from a personal place and from, you know, uh, but, but that, that their music, um, I think tends to, and their, their lyrics tend to come from their own personal experience in a lot of cases, uh, rather than borrowing upon or telling stories of others or inhabiting characters, which they do, don't get me wrong, or narrating, you know, a, a ballad, which they do. Uh, but a lot of their, the bulk of their stuff, I think is very honestly, honest expressions of their experiences in life and their confusions and their hang-ups and their victories and their defeats of person on a personal level um and the, the best example that i can give you for that is um a song on i and love and you called uh, january wedding uh, again that was in 2000 and uh, put out in 2009 and that song is about uh seth avitt he he wrote it although you always get they get co-writing credit. They always list you know, Bob Crawford and 
um, Seth Abbott and Scott Abbott as the writers, but it's really a, a Seth song, and it's about his um, the wedding that uh, he's preparing for he and his wife, for him and his wife, that's going to take place in January, and he married at that in that year the the love of his early years. You know, this is his uh, what would you call your high school crush, right? You know, some have been with him for many years, and they got married in January, and the whole song is about you know, January we're getting married. Um, and then <laughs> I had some dates on here about this because I always forget these dates. But uh, it was a couple of years. I know four years. I don't know exactly, but maybe somewhere around there, four years later, that uh, they ended up getting divorced. Bummer. And uh, Seth David. David. And there's a whole story behind this. And I'm not going to go into this story because, to me, I think this is more their story. And I, we don't need to talk about it here. But um, he ended up. Dating and then ultimately fall in love with, and are now married and has a child with. Um, God, what's her name? Oh crap! I swear, Mrs. Abe. Uh, she's the uh, crap. She's the uh, actress uh, who played uh, Dexter's sister in Dexter. Really? Yes. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, I know you're talking quick, about. Yeah, I, yeah. The name is escaping me, which happens I will. all the time. That's a good show, man. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's a big fan. She's she's been at a few shows too. Uh, at any rate, so it, when um, true is it on true side? Mr. Jennifer Tom Leanne Man? Carpenter. There it is. Deborah Morgan. Yeah, such a good show. So on their new album, True Sadness, in 2013, he wrote a song called "Divorce Separation." I was just Blues. I just looked at that album track listing. I was wondering when you said that they got divorced if um. That that song was about that. Do you have any yes? Yeah. Okay. Um, and 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 importantly, you know they were, you know there are a lot of fans and and, and, and any any band is probably going to have this, you know. And certainly when you get more popular, you probably gets more intense. But you know they have the people who are like fanatics, uh, the people who are like everything Avit, right? They that's all they listen to. They they follow every show. They they go see them. You know, drive they'll drive six hours, and then the next week they'll drive three hours. You know, those those people who are There's really so into many it, panic right? fans like that. It's exactly, insane. and all bands have them to one degree or another, right? Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that uh, there were a lot of people among that group who were very upset about Seth uh, and his original wife uh, getting divorced, and who said, you know, for example, I can never listen to January Wedding again. I can't hear it. You know, uh, those. That kind of reaction. Yeah, that's kind of almost and, like getting a tattoo. Of your, your <laughs> and then later, <laughs> later y'all break up and you're stuck with it. It's but a yes, song. Exactly. <laughs> and the fans yeah. are pissed about it. And so you know, he, so I'm, I guess I'm illustrating two things here. You know, when he wrote "Divorce Separation Blues," so there's a good kind of pairing of, uh, examples of you know how these songs are coming from real, they're very personal places, um, and very honest and out front in his songwriting. Uh, and I noticed in that song that he also seems to answer <coughs> some of those people who, you know, were very critical of Seth uh, for, you know, for hurting his wife in the way he did and for how that all went down. And, and then for, you know, as, as they would say, shacking up with or, you know, ultimately uh, developing a, a relationship with Dexter. Mrs. Carpenter. Thank you. Leanne. <laughs> I forget her name already. Because he says in that song, he says... Um, well, neither one of us really want to head to town. We try to keep our friends at bay, try to keep the gossip down. Well, some folks just want the dirt and don't even care if it's true. But then again, who cares who's talking? I'm worried for myself and you. And I think in some ways that was a, a kind of a, a little nod to or, or statement to the people who had been vicious, as they will be on social media, yeah. uh, in uh, condemning Seth and then, um, you know, and then all the vile stuff that goes on on those places. You know, that's a, that's like a sign of success when you no longer when you choose to like. This is kind of a common thing I've seen artists, comedians, different people. They get to a certain level of success and then they can't read the comments anymore mm -hmm. because so many, uh, such a large sampling of people like you. Yes. That even though it's like only maybe 10% negativity, 
that's still a lot of negativity Absolutely. for as many people as will comment on like a Joe Rogan's podcast. And the more or, famous you get, the more people want to tear you down because we love to te- we love to build people up, build oh, our no. stars up, and then tear them down. Yeah, that's you know that's what we do. Yeah. At any rate, they're human, and um, they're that is very much obvious uh, not only on on the stage and how there are. Even now, you know, even now uh, that that they've gotten, you know, a, a larger audience and are making more money and uh, you know are more successful. Even now, they still are so humble, you know. And I, and I can tell, it, it's just it's so they're so honest and they're so humble and they're so grateful. Um, and so that's that's a big part, I guess, of why they uh, they have this broad appeal and why they appeal to me too. I like honesty and I like real music. What? Um can I finish that song, by the way? Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I was going to ask you about some uh, if you had any other uh, recommendations or other uh, readings you want to do, uh, just because uh, you do have a keen eye for hooks. Well, words, my thing, right? I, yeah, mean, it, I, I mean, they are by profession. I mean, yeah. literally, like that's what's what you do. Uh, so, um, and two, I love how um, when you usually come on and, and do a reading or turn me on to a song, that there's always kind of like a, a gut wrenching hook of some kind in there. Well, there's so. a couple songs if, if if you would indulge me. Yeah, no, go, by entirety. all means, just kind of kind of. But this sedue. one, I just thought this divorce separation blues. It's so interesting. I'll I'll preface this by saying that the, the album True Sadness, you know, the the title really defines that album very well because that's what the entire theme of the album is. It's stories about divorce, it's stories about death, it's stories about missing your family, it's stories about, um, you know, the fact that beneath the surface of the exterior that we present of ourselves, there is really in each, in all of us, there's a a real and a very true sadness to life, you know, for any given reason and probably multiple ones. Um, And so... And yet the, the the music, and and you know because you've listened to it, it's very upbeat. The, the, it really the music is. itself That's... is very upbeat and very it's very dan- you can dance to it and it's uh, you know even the singing is sometimes comes across as being very celebratory. You know, ain't no band can change me. Right. I was just looking at that title right here. Yeah. It's the first song on the album. And I didn't think I got that lyric right, but at any rate, yeah, it's 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 very upbeat. And yet, if you really listen to the lyrics, which are very strong in my opinion. Um, the lyrics are, are talking about very sad and, and, and heartbreaking topics like divorce. And drugs. And uh, drugs. And, uh, yeah, um, eating in your car. Yes. Living mm-hmm. on the road. Indeed. Not have you know, yeah. I, I really like the road, Not seeing your family and you're missing, you're missing life. And At any rate, it, it just I found this to be, and especially the way he delivers it, to be really well-crafted. Uh, so he says after that part about I'm worried for myself and you. He sings. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna sing it, but he sings a. And I'll sign on the line beneath my name. The road is gone. I can't go back the way we came. They say one of every two bound to be set aflame. Every level of resentment, responsibility, and blame. Well, now I'm bound to break a promise, one I made to God and you. I've got the tough education. No celebration. Divorce, separation, blues. I've got the tough education, no celebration, bad communication, worse interpretation, love deprivation, pain allocation, soul devastation, cold desolation, life complication, resuscitation, divorce, separation, blues. And I'm not a yodeler, but that was was nice. I did not do Seth uh, uh, credit there, but uh, (laughs) maybe I did with his words at least. So, um, I'll share something else with you about that that particular album. Let me just ask you, man, because. You know, I, I burned all those albums for you, and I know you said that you've worn out the new one, uh, but you kind of seem to connect more with the older stuff, with the more of the raw stuff. You know, you, mm-hmm. and I can I can totally understand that. Um, but you, and yet you say you you spend the new one, you find yourself listening to it more. So, give me your take on the album as somebody who's fairly new to Ava Brothers. 
Uh, relatively. Yeah, you know, it was. I would just. I like I said. I agree with people's statements that it mm-hmm. was uh, sort of poppier. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. And and too, so that might be like some sort of weird confirmation bias on my part because everybody I've kind of talked to about the Avett brothers outside of you, mm-hmm. um, friends, Colby, whoever, have just kind of been like, hey, you know, yeah, they're just kind of like their old stuff. They're kind of poppy. That's the narrative. For me, I liked it. I, I listened to it a lot. It was in my car, so it would just come on like any time that I wasn't doing like streaming the podcast or YouTube or whatever. It would, it would be on because uh, I don't like to listen to the radio a, a whole lot. I yeah. mean, it just kind of you know. never listen to the radio. Man, the m- amount of commercials is insane. No, I can't stand it. Yeah, I mean, that's why, like, you know, podcasts have commercials, but they hit them at the beginning or end, and, like, it's like, it's not even a thing. There's no interruption. And not and and it's that, that, and that's a big part of it, but also just, it's like, they play the same music over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I I, I turn on a a classic rock uh, station, or even just a kind of rock and roll bass station, it's like they're playing the same stuff that they were playing when I was listening to the radio in the 80s, you know, when I was growing up, and I'm like... I mean, it's good music, you know, and I, I don't dislike it, but it's just like I've heard this so much. I, you know, I like to, uh, I like to expand my horizons. And I, I would. Uh, I'm. I'm really fascinated that knowing about this, the Rick Rubin, and like that. There's four albums only that Rick four Rubin, so far that they're, Rick they're Rubin did. Getting ready. They 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 said at the uh, show that I went to uh, on March second uh, that they're working on uh, their fifth. Rick Rubin album, and they gave the impression to me. They didn't say it directly, but I, they said we're closing this out in in a certain way, and and so it gave me the impression that maybe this was the final Rick Rubin album, that they're gonna then finish that out and maybe go in a different yeah. direction. I don't know, uh, but, <laughs> um, well, I mean, I don't know. What do you want to know about the Rick Rubin albums? I mean, I can talk. Well, it's I'm interested to kind of to kind of cross compare the other three Rick Rubin albums to this one. I would just say like oh. that this album more it seems to have like it seems to um, it seems to fit better a commercial model than some of their earlier things. Like you know, I guess you could say that like it was like maybe there's like a, a template of success that they uh, came in and and whether it was a custom made template for them or whatever. Versus their earlier stuff, where it was probably just them going in and saying, "Here's our stuff," mm-hmm. and you, they didn't have that expert opinion to guide it. I mean, that would just be my initial thought because it does seem, like I said, their new album seems to fit a more commercial model than the earlier ones. That's probably true. It's probably more accessible to a broader audience. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. But it also is, you know, if you if if you can get beyond that and. Uh, 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 the the idea that it's you know a broader for um, more broad uh, more accessible well, and it's not even one, a point that hangs me up per se. Oh, me either. I, I think, like I already said, I think it's one of it's one of the some of their best work. Yeah, um, especially I mean, lyrically. I mean, and thematically, is some great stuff. Like for example, Satan pulls the strings. The first time I heard that song, I did not like it. I was like, "What is this? This isn't. This sounds really popish." Yeah. And and I'm and and pop isn't. I don't use pop in a bad term but pop ish i would say is probably bad term in other words it sounds too too much too pop too mm-hmm. you know too bouncy i don't know uh but i did not like it the first time i heard it and then the second time i heard it i was like oh, i kind of see what they're doing here and then the third time i heard it, I was like i kind of kind of like this and then the fourth time i heard it, i was like you know this is one of my favorite songs on the album <laughs> <laughs> and i find that to be so true not just with the Avery Brothers, but with music in general, that sometimes the songs that I don't really like at first are the songs that ends up being the staying, have staying power with me. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it might be because the first time I hear it, and this is a good example, that it's not what I expected to hear. Uh, this is a, this doesn't sound like the Avery Brothers. What is this? You know, because it's it's got a it's got a, it, at times a pop is it's very progressive kind of sound to it you know almost electronic i mean there's a strong electronica element to it yeah they they have uh, delved in a lot of a different directions yes and so when i first heard it i was like oh, i didn't get it because i didn't expect it and then once i gave it time to simmer and really kind of settle in and really start listening to it then i really started digging it and that that's kind of in, in a lot of ways what what uh, true sadness in its entirety uh, was like for me first listen i was like i'm not sure about this album 
second listen on it. Okay, I kind of see what you're doing, and so on and so forth. And now I think it's my my opinion of it is some of their strongest work. You mentioned lyrically, you know, some of their strongest work. My two favorite songs on that album. Let me find that one. My two favorite songs on that album. One of them is called No Hard Feelings. Well, God, I also love True Sadness. And another one is called I Wish I Was. But uh, I'll read those two in their entirety. But True Sadness, I could share something, uh, uh, an insight about that. Um, you remember I was talking earlier about their lyrics. You know, oftentimes I think I don't hear a, I don't hear their name in the mix when I see articles about some of the best songwriters. You know, I, I see Patterson Hood, you know, show up there. I see uh, Todd Snyder show up there. I see... Uh, a lot of other artists, you know, Isbel definitely uh, show up there. But I don't often see people mention songwriting when they talk about the Abbott Brothers. It's more about the live performance and their their personalities and their connection to the audience and that sort of thing. And their oh, and well, and also their kind of range of musicianship. I mean, Scott and Seth both are multi instrumentalists. They could, if they had enough of themselves, they could play every instrument on the stage. Among the two of them, you know. Um, but their songwriting, I think, oftentimes gets overlooked, and they all, and it may be because also it's because of how personal it is. Uh, but for example, on True Sadness, there's this one part of the song uh, in which I call Seth the feminist. Every now and then, Seth's feminist side will come out where he'll start talking about or singing about, I should say, um, you know how women are are, are too often. Um, defined in certain ways and judged and valued in certain ways and therefore ultimately diminished uh, in those ways. And so he, he sings or he, he writes uh, and sings. Angela became a target as soon as her beauty was seen by young men who tried to reduce her down to a scene on an X-rated screen. Is she not more than the shape of her hips? Is she not more than the shine on her lips? Does she not dream to live and to sing and to dance down her own path without being torn apart does she not have a heart how can i go on with this evil inside me i step out my front door i feel it surround me just know the kingdom of god is within you even though the battle is bound to continue because i still wake up shaken by dreams and i hate to say it but the way it seems is that no one is fine. Take the time to peel a few layers and you will find true sadness. To me, that's so true. Um, and one reason that that song appealed to me immediately on the album, even though it took me a while to warm up to the full album, is because I have said and thought so many times, you know, about just how absurd it is sometimes, you know, you, we, have, we, we meet each other in the hallway and we're like, how you doing, man? And you're like, I'm doing fine. And you know you're not. And, and, and we all know nobody is. And, and that's the answer everybody wants. You know, when they ask how you're doing, they don't really want to know how you're doing. You know, I mean, take yeah, take it take it for so, example. Yeah. To, you know, go, take an experiment and actually tell them truly how you're doing, and watch how quickly they try to get away. <laughs> you know, and so we come, we just oh, well, I'm fine. And the fact of the matter is, nobody's fine. You know, take the time to get to know someone, to peel a few layers, take the time to really communicate with someone, and what you'll find is true sadness. You know, and and. I think that's absolutely 100% life truth and also essential in some ways, not in an everyday conversation way, uh, that at times you do feel those layers and get to those places and, and deal with them. You know. So that, I think, is a good example, in my opinion, of, um, of their songwriting strength that oftentimes gets overlooked. Yeah, you know, but, that is, a, I would agree. I mean, you don't, they're not really... Um at the top, I mean, I like the the lyrics of their new album, but they, like you said, they're not really mentioned at the top of the heap. Yeah, so to speak. It's interesting. I I, and I don't know why that is. I, I don't know why. It, maybe it's because the lyrics are are so personal uh, that they maybe. I mean, I know they connect to a large audience of people who love the Abbott Brothers, but why they don't seem to get the what I believe would be a deserved credit for their songwriting. Here's another one. 
Um, one of my favorite songs on the album is also called No Hard Feelings, and it's it's a tough one because it's about imminent death, and it's about coming to terms with the fact that I, too, one day will die, and that's just a fact, you know. And we, not to get all philosophical here, but, you know, I think we as a, as a people, as humans, and our tendency is to avoid that true reality of the inevitability of our own death, you know, and that's why I think we use, yeah. we don't like to use that term death. We'll call Everyone it Everyone wants to go away. to heaven, no one wants to die. True. It, yes. It, boy, good, good way to state it. Yes, exactly. Uh, so we use terms like passing away, you know, or going to a better place or, you know, being called to heaven. Um, you know, this one is really a more of a direct statement of what he hopes will be his ultimate inevitability. And it's called No Hard Feelings. Let me make one more point about this before I read this song. You, you might have heard when I read those lyrics earlier, True Sadness, that he talks about the kingdom of God being within you, which is a very Christian concept. And the Avett brothers are, to my knowledge, I've not met them personally, but, but they are Christian. But and, they, and, they, and you hear a lot of Christian influences in their music, mm -hmm. but if you listen carefully, you hear influences of uh, Buddhism as well. There's a lot of Buddhist influences that they, uh, that they build into their lyrics, and it's oftentimes very subtle, and it comes up in this song and probably in the most direct way that I've heard from them. So they're not their music, even though they are they consider themselves Christian. They're very open-minded about differing kind of uh, religions and 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 life beliefs and and um, um, any kind of other belief systems, and they explore those in their music as well. It's a very interesting mix, uh, but. There's this uh, Buddhist ideal. I don't pretend to be an expert here. You may be more of expertise than I am on this, but uh, that to die a good death, to die a death that is one that you 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 not leaving something undone, is to die with no enemies. And so if there's a saying, a Buddhist saying, "I have no enemies," and what that means is is that I I am ready for death. I you know, when I die, if I have no enemies, then that means that I have succeeded in life. Okay, and if I have enemies when I die, then that means that I haven't, that I didn't, I wasn't able to finish what needed to be finished. Um, and so, this song, "No Hard Feelings," is is about ponderings of death. It's again a, a Seth song, and it's really he sings it as you'll remember, and you know, it's very fragile. It's just Seth and his acoustic guitar, and it's really um, personal when my body won't hold me anymore and it finally lets me free will I be ready when my feet won't walk another mile and my lips give their last kiss goodbye will my hands be steady when I lay down my fears my hopes and my doubts the rings on my fingers and the keys to my house with no hard feelings when the sun hangs low in the west and the light in my chest won't be kept at bay any longer. When the jealousy fades away and it's ash and dust for cash and lust and it's just hallelujah. And love and thoughts and love in the words, love in the songs they sing in the church and no hard feelings. Lord knows they haven't done much good for anyone. Kept me afraid and cold with so much to have and hold. Hmm. When my body won't hold me anymore and it finally lets me free, where will I go? Will the trade winds take me south through Georgia grain or tropical rain or snow from the heavens? Will I join the ocean blue or run into the Savior true and shake hands laughing and walk through the night straight to the light, holding the love I've known in my life and no hard feelings. Lord knows they haven't done much good for anyone, kept me afraid and cold with so much to have and hold. Under the curving sky, I'm finally learning why it matters 
for me and you to say it and mean it too for life and its loveliness and all of its ugliness good as it's been to me I have no enemies I have no enemies I have no enemies very nice sir tell me that's not poetry yeah, no, nah, man. And yeah. it makes my mom cry every time, and I guarantee you she will listen to this because she listens to everything that I send her. Bless her heart. And so, sorry for making you cry there, Mom. But it's uh, it's true. Yeah, uh, you could always get a side gig just being an audiobook reader. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Now, you, 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 do, you do taking, rock the readings, though. I thought about taking some of their songs, like I Had Loving You, and writing short stories from them. See yeah, that'd be are. awesome. Yeah, kind of interesting. Um, so, let's. Uh, I wanted. To, I want to ask you about this real quick, and uh, then we got to. I got to get to the gym here in a few uh, minutes. Yeah, we're gonna have to do a Navit Brothers part two because uh, let's, so let's, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do a part two and really hit on the concerts. Okay. Because like we've really we've done a good intro here, and uh, let's just wrap it up with real quick about you getting these photos published. Ah, okay, right on. And then, all right, if you'll indulge me, we'll yeah, wrap it up with that. Uh, and then also uh, with um, um, one last portion of a lyric from Talk Definitely. on Indolence. So at any rate, yes, I did. I, I the, We'll talk concerts next time, but uh, I've seen them six times, and the best show that I've seen of them, and when I say best show, I mean the one that really just uh, will stick with, every moment will stick with me for eternity was when I was on the... Uh, it was at Cox Business Center in Tulsa in June 2014. So this was after the release of Magpie and the Dandelion. It's when they were touring on that, the third uh, Rick Rubin-produced album. And um, Connie and I were right on the end of the catwalk, right? So they have like, then they oftentimes have this, uh, where they have the main stage and then they'll have, a, a, you know, a, a single lane coming straight out, right, into the audience. So there's your catwalk. And we were on the end of the catwalk because I knew because I'd seen him in Little Rock and we were close to the catwalk, but that's where all the really intimate stuff happened, right there on the end of the catwalk. And so we were right there on the end. And uh, Langhorn Slim uh, and the law opened for them, and I've got some great stories to share about that, including the time that when Langhorn Slim took my camera from me as I was videoing a song and scanned the audience with it and then handed it back to me. Uh, so I'll awesome. tell that full story next time. But uh, I took several photos, and, and I just have a little point-and-shoot camera. It's what I use to take pictures at concerts and what I use to take my small handful of, of song videos uh, for the shows that I go to. And it takes it surprisingly good pictures. It, it takes <laughs> good everything. It's uh, quality. I want to get one myself. Especially with this one being that I was right there. So, you know, I was, I mean, quite literally, Brian, it was like, I could look up, and they're just standing right in front of me, right? Uh, and so I got some awesome pictures, and I got two of them published in a publication called Stories of Music. This was volume two. It's a book uh, that's put out annually. This is the second annual version of it. And what it is is it's, uh, it's independent writings uh, and uh, photographs uh, from all of music lovers, music makers, people in the business, people like me, you know, who either, you know, maybe short stories, poetry, essays, memoirs, in my case, photographs. And I took two, I actually sent them four uh, of my favorite ones from that particular show and sent it to them. And they published two of them, paid me 200 bucks for nice. it. Nice. I know, Freelance. 100 bucks a picture. Uh, so I can officially now call myself, even though it's only two, you know, a, a professional Man, concert you go to so many concerts, <laughs> blogging, photos, stuff mm. like that. I guarantee you, man, like your videos, monetization of your YouTube channel, I'm all about it. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I love to do it. That's why I do it. That's why, dude, that's why I'm like uh, bring up, bring those points up is because if you can ever uh, in any way uh, do more of the things you love in life, life will be better. Most definitely. Oh, if I could somebody pay me to go to concerts and give them a description. Hey, maybe somebody wants to go to a concert but can't and wants a full description with video and pictures. Uh, pay me. I'd, to I'd totally do that. Yeah. Unless the music sucks, and in which case I'm not interested. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Uh, all right, so let's end on this then, since you have to be ho- heading out here in a yeah, bit. Yeah, so we'll come back with a part two. Um, if you're down to come next Friday, I'm down to have you in the house, sir. We can just do a concert review of your favorite moments, um, and then particularly this the show you recently saw that I didn't get to go to that we alluded to at the beginning and midway through. So uh, thanks for coming on, man. Oh, uh, wrapping it up. Yeah, go ahead. With this talk on indolence thing, before you, if you have final thoughts to wrap no, up. No, no, go ahead. I, I'm I'm all uh, I'm all done. So go ahead. So we'll start where or we'll be end rather where we began, which this is uh, the first song on uh, Four Thieves Gone, the Robinsonville Sessions, Robinson. Robbinsville, sorry, I always say that wrong. Robbinsville sessions in 2006, and this is the one, if you remember, that has kind of one of the more strong punkish elements. This song is called "Talk on Indolence," so I'll just read a portion of it. But uh, when I first heard this song, it was just like, wow, because it's kind of what you might call cow punk, right? It's got the 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 the, the uh, uh, banjo, yeah, I've seen this, you know, video. and the acoustic yeah, yeah, yeah. guitar, right, yeah. and the kick drum and the hi hat, right, uh, and it's just this balls out just celebration type song right um it starts out like this i'm gonna try to read this in some ways the way they sing it while i've been locking myself up in my house for some time now reading and writing and reading and thinking and searching for reasons and missions the seasons the autumn the spring the summer the snow the record will stop and the record will go latches latch the windows down the dog coming in and the dog going out up with caffeine and down with a shot constantly worried about what i got distracting my work but i can't make a stop in my confidence on me my coffin it's off and i sink to the bottom and rise to the top and i think to myself that i do this a lot and the world goes high just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and i witness it all from the blinds of my window three four and then it goes into the song <laughs> all right and i'm telling you they get up there and they deliver that better than i even did in just like this rapid fire of of lyricism and then this just it's just it is uh drills into your brain in every great way and uh when i first heard that I said, yeah, these guys are someone to check out. So I encourage those listeners out here who maybe haven't checked them out to do so. Uh, start wherever you like. Start with the latest album and see if you dig it. If you do, start working backwards from there, you know. Or if you want to look into their older stuff, uh, pick up um, pick up Minionette or Emotionalism. And if you like those things, then start exploring from there. All right, excellent. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, we'll see you, you know, next time. I always love talking about music. Hey, check out our Todd Snyder episode. It's been getting great uh, feedback across the board. Uh, drive-by truckers as well. We'll see My you boys. guys uh, or uh, next time and uh, for part two with the Avid Brothers. Peace out.